You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we return to the monthly series, Waste Not. We discuss food waste and the ways in which household action can bring global change. Our focus today is food inventory and storage. It's my sincere pleasure to introduce Mike Booth, chef and senior cookery instructor at the Stratford Chef School. Welcome, Mike. Uh, Thank you, Peggy. Thank you for having me today. Really glad to have you here. Mike, I'd like to start from the very beginning, and I wonder what inspired you to become a chef? I grew up around food. Um, I come from BC. My my grandfather had a, an orchard in the Okanagan. So as a, a young kid, I was you know I was out eating fruit and he had a big garden, eating eating fresh vegetables out of the garden. When I got a little bit older, I started helping my mother in the the kitchens, uh, making dinner. You know, I just enjoyed cooking. So I started doing my summer jobs as a a cook uh, in in restaurants and just sort of went from there. So you've been in food and agri-food your whole life, which is uh, it's a wonderful life. I know I, I grew up in the agri-food industry myself on a family farm. And uh, now you're at the, Toronto, uh, at the Stratford Chef School. Can you tell us a little bit about that school and its mission? Uh, well, Stratford Chef School, it's a, a culinary school in Stratford, Ontario, obviously. Um, it's a non-for-profit career college school. Um, the idea that is we're trying to provide like a hands-on training uh, for aspiring chefs and culinary entrepreneurs. Uh, it's a little bit more than just a cooking school. Uh, it's fairly immersive, uh, immersive curriculum. Uh, we have small classes and most of the classes are instructed by working chefs in the industry. So uh, you get a lot, a lot of hands-on training. That's a really great experience, not just the hands-on for the students, but they're working with people who are still active in the field that students hope to be in. And I know that it can be challenging for uh, scholars and teachers to keep up with their practice. So what a great experience at the Stratford Chef School for everyone taking that program. And I know you've had many successes. How we got to connect in was actually with one of your students. So really, it's a testament to the wonderful things that happen at the school. I'm wondering, Mike, what are some of the greatest challenges in balancing culinary arts and food management? We think of arts as a little more creative and maybe undisciplined, um, but the food management piece has to come in too. What are, what are some of the challenges there? Uh, so challenges balancing culinary arts and, and food management, uh, big one is going to be food waste. Um, obviously, if we're buying in food and, and not using it, it's costly to a restaurant, uh, costly to a school. Uh, so we're really trying to avoid that. Um, another huge one is storage. Generally, you're not going to have that much storage space uh, in a building or, or at home for, for all of your goods. Uh, and then trying to make ways or create ways to use excess products that you do have. So in a, in a way, it's a very similar to how you operate at home, just on a much larger scale. It's interesting how the... Um... Uh, principles of art and design have to come into play when you are engaged in managing. You talk about limited space and using things that are left over. You do need to be creative about it. So they aren't necessarily opposite ends of the continuum, rather things one can enhance the other. I'm wondering, Mike, what do you see as some of the biggest opportunities in the future for talented culinary artists as Canada works towards its national food policy, for example? Uh, well, there, there are very many. I mean, uh, Canada has never really had a food policy. There is a lot of opportunity in education, um, whether it is teaching uh, people about 
where our food comes from and, and how we, it gets to us um, through cooking in farms, doing farm dinners, et cetera. Um, it also helps us or gives us the opportunity to create and build community and relationships um, in, in the, the culinary world. Uh, you often have that between restaurants, but it's, it's now time where we can extend that to farmers and producers. And, uh, and again, they can sort of ex extend that to us and we can work together to uh, better make use of, of the food that we have. That's great. The network of chefs across the nation and locally who appreciate each other's specializations. But I agree with you, people are more and more interested in where their food comes from and they want to know about the food supply. And I think now more than ever with the pandemic an appreciation of our food and the availability of it, but also the appreciation of the preparation methods are at the forefront, I think, on people's minds. And so I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's a big future for chefs uh, across Canada. And I think that we all have a lot to learn from the profession in terms of um, really loving food again and knowing simply how to put some things together, save some money while you're doing it, have a very tight inventory. As you mentioned, inventory is a challenge in smaller spaces. So lots to learn from the uh, chef's profession. I'm wondering how can listeners benefit from learning some of the skills that chefs acquire and use every day? You know, being a chef is uh, basically under having a very good understanding of, of home economics and a larger scale. Um, for me, um, you know, learning, learning what foods taste well together or go well together is a big one. So when you're at the grocery store and you're, you're picking up things that you like, it's not necessarily, um, or, or you should always try to pick up things that you like, but things that go well together, you know, so you might not consider an eggplant, but, uh, you know, putting an eggplant together with some fresh tomatoes and some zucchini and some onions, and you have something very special happening. Um, but then also looking at those ingredients and seeing what else you can do with them, um, which again, will help you use leftovers in a, a more manageable way. So, you know, making a tomato sauce, for example, for your, your pasta dish on Tuesday, um, rather than incorporating all of your ingredients into the tomato, you can make a tomato sauce base, take half of it and use it the next day or the day after in, in a, a braised meat or something uh, along those lines. So you're, you're sort of doing half the work and getting twice the, the result from it. Right. Uh, por portion control obviously is a, a big one. Um, you know, in restaurants, we're always uh, trying to give people a, a, a main course or an appetizer size portion for things. Am I making dinner for six people in my family or is it just for two people in my family? You know, purchasing accordingly so you, you don't have uh, excess of leftovers uh, and that you're making best use of the food that you do have. Those are really good tips. So forecasting, how many, how many meals do I need to make for how many people? And then also forecasting with your ingredients. Okay. So I know I need to buy X number of tomatoes, or I need to buy X amount of dairy or whatever it is, and then really have a bit of a plan that, you know, forecasting out, you'll be able to use everything, not waste it. And I also, another tip in addition to the forecasting that you mentioned was um, think about what goes together. I don't know where I heard it. And so I, I really can't credit the uh, originator, but it's not mine, but uh, it's called, I've heard food that grows together goes together. So we often think of onions and potatoes and carrots, or we think of uh, lime and uh, enchiladas or, or corn tortillas. So it's very interesting. And I think that if we're just getting uh, we don't have any formal preparation and we haven't really thought about it before thinking about what goes together 
um, maybe one tip is to start with where things grow. Would you, would you agree with that? Or do you think that's just a, a saying that works only so far? Oh, it, it, I would agree with it. It does only work so far. Uh, I think learning about uh, a different cuisines uh, of the world is, is very helpful as well. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, the eggplants and the tomatoes and the zucchini before, uh, you know, great thinking like the Mediterranean uh, dish in, in southern in, in Italy or in France, uh, ratatouille or things like that. But all of those ingredients go really well together on the other side of the Mediterranean, you know, in, in uh, northern Africa. And you can start thinking about different flavor combinations. Um, you, you're basically using the same ingredients, but you start adding different spices, uh, cumin, coriander, uh, and you have a completely different uh, dish and it, it's really just very small differences that will will change that for you and that will help with um, fatigue of reading the same thing all of the time what a what a great um, way to look at it that you have a base inventory I know I do at home I have 60 core items that they're they're my staples they're always in my cupboard fridge and freezer and I, I mix it up with whatever's in season. And if I need to uh, get a small amount of something, cause I'm trying a dish and it really does. I, I never hit my grocery budget and I never truly managed my food waste until I had this system in place. So thank you for bringing that up, Mike, and, and adding the, um, that a core, uh, set of ingredients doesn't have to be boring because you said add a few more things and you're all of a sudden into Northern African cuisine, or we have a lot of beautiful indigenous um, ways of life with food that we can try. And I know there's um, some things coming up in experiential tourism there that we can look forward to. And it's just really the food is a window to the world. So even though you have a core inventory, not to set any limits there, I, I think that's fantastic. Thank you very much, Mike. After the break, we'll hear more from Mike Booth, chef and senior cookery instructor who will share his expertise on ways households can manage food inventory and storage to save money and avoid waste. In doing so, we can come together to ensure there's enough food for every family at home and across the world. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. We're speaking with Mike Booths, chef and senior cookery instructor at Stratford Chef School about food inventory and storage as ways to save money and avoid spoilage. Mike, as a chef, you've got formal training in kitchen food systems. What are some of your insider tips for households about establishing a food inventory at home? Uh, I think a big one is to, to have a staples list. Um, so your, your basic things that you're gonna always have on hand. Um, you know, you mentioned you had 60 items. Uh, it could be 20 items. It doesn't need to be it's sort of dependent on what the individual has. Um, but that's a very important one. If, you, if you're the type of person who uses a freezer, have a big chest freezer at home, I think having a log, an inventory of what goes in there is really good. Oftentimes you'll see in recipes, ingredients that, that uh, you're not going to necessarily use for a lot of things. It's just for something very specific. And when you buy those things, you should sort of do so in a, in a quantity that makes sense for you. And, and really, if you're not going to use it, think about what you can do to substitute for that specific ingredient so that you can maybe make use of something that you have at your house. So much there to, to build on and uh, great, great tips. As I was really surprised, as I said, in agri-food my whole life, when I started to actually analytically look at my food inventory, when I was really starting to get serious about food waste and, and not have it happen anymore. 
I had things that served the same purpose. So for example, um, I don't do a lot of home baking right now. I did at one point, so I don't really need baking powder and baking soda. I can, I can do the conversions and use one or the other. I could reduce my inventory if I used canned tomatoes as my base, as opposed to already a prepared sauce. I could make a lot more with just plain canned tomatoes, add my own herbs if I wanted tomato sauce, but I could also make it be tomato soup or other things. So as I really started to analytically look at what the purposes of each of the food items I had in my inventory was, I was able to streamline, as you had said, and talked about that. So really, really amazing tips. And uh, moving now into the production process, once the that households have decided what they like to eat and make, how can they manage their inventory without having too much on hand or running out too soon, that delicate balance of understanding, um, not just your inventory, but enough that you aren't going to run out and not so much that it goes bad because you can't eat it in time. What, what's that delicate balance? How do chefs manage that? In the restaurant kitchens, uh, we're lucky because, you know, we generally have a set number of menu items and we're serving the same thing day in, day out. You know, we'll, we'll order accordingly, but at home you, you can eat anything that you want at any time. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure that everyone's always had their, their Sunday roast beef dinner and it turns into sandwiches the next day or the day after, but, you know, we can be doing things like that with chickens. You can, you can roast a chicken one day and, and the leftovers will become a, a, a stew or a curry or something the next day. Um, we can always change these foods into things. Dry goods isn't as big of a problem. Uh, it's always that cold space, um, the refrigerator, and freezer if you have it. So trying to manage that can be very, very challenging. As I hear, I couldn't agree more, Michael. Uh, and as I hear you speaking, I think of there is a real uh, planning, organizing and controlling function. And you had we are talking about inventory and, and how much, but it comes back to how many people are eating. Uh, what is the portion size? Are we going to be cooking for one meal or are we going to make extra for a, the following meals? So it's really that, that looking ahead, we've already used the word forecasting and how we can see a different life in a food, looking at it and seeing, is there a new life? The research and investigation is really worth the investment. Let me talk a little bit more about seasonality and managing inventory. It's always a work in progress, things that we inventory, um, we may decide we don't need anymore. We find a better product, but also seasons change and we can lose interest in some foods. So I'm wondering how can households best manage these seasonal or fluctuations in what it is they'd like to inventory at home? You know, when, when discussing seasonality, um, I immediately just think of fruits and vegetables, you know, come the springtime when the, those first things start growing and, and coming out and we're getting asparagus and we're getting strawberries uh, it's a very exciting time in my household. You know, that first, that first shot of, I think it's rhubarb and asparagus is roughly the same time in the spring. And, uh, oh man, I buy it as much as I can get my hands on really. And we're eating it in soups, we're eating it uh, with roasts, we're eating it just on its own. Uh, we're having pies, we're, all kinds of stuff. So I really, I don't buy asparagus any other time of the year. It's very rare that I would eat a asparagus uh, in December, really feel in a, a connection to the the, the product that I can buy locally that I know comes from, from a, a farmer that I may know down the road or, or somebody that I've met at the farmer's market. And again, eat the things that you like to eat um, as much as you can while you can get it. Some of these seasonal things are only available for two or three weeks at a time. 
You're right. And that seasonality helps, um, uh, from getting our meal from our meals becoming, uh, boring or too predictable because when we do eat seasonally, as you say, the asparagus is delicious. And then we're, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just, and I had my strawberries just like you, I'm enjoying cherries right now. And I just cannot wait for the peaches and then on into apples and potatoes and, and all the things that the harvest brings. And I think that that helps us um, eat what we have because it's new and exciting and interesting. And it does help us avoid waste because we're eating it and it only comes at a certain time of year. So shifting now, um, Michael, into proper storage, what are some of the common food storage challenges uh, that professional chefs experience and how can they be overcome with similar challenges at the household? I mean, the big one in the in kitchens is, is fridge space. In a restaurant kitchen, you have to be very conscious about how things are kept based on in relationship to the other things. You know, we don't want to store raw chicken on top of uh, salad greens that might be served raw because, you know, you could, could result in a cross-contamination, somebody getting some kind of illness or food poisoning. Um, in the home in the home kitchen, we try to do the same thing, but fridge space is always is always the big one. Um, ways to get around doing that is is again you you talk about planning ahead. Just sort of make a plan for your week um, when you go out and buy your vegetables. You can bring them home and you can process them. If you have a happen to have a vacuum sealer at home, vacuum sealing meats and freezing them. Um, obviously, if you don't have a vacuum sealing uh, saran wrap or Ziploc bags or whatever the case may be, is fine. Um, but also preparing things sort of halfway. I, I mentioned the tomato sauce earlier. So rather than having a, a bunch of different things, you have a few sort of core items that you can then add different things to to create a, a meal for the evening or for the day. Really good advice. And I think it seems like we have similar problems. You know, how to get everything into the fridge is one of the, the main challenges. When I'm sort of figuring out how much time I need to either get my groceries, I factor in that that sort of what you call processing period. I never put celery in its in its stock form into my fridge. I cut the end off. I, I put the leaves in my stock pot and then I have um, just my container of celery. I, I just sort of build that into my grocery day. It's not as much storage, but all of those things are there and ready to go. As soon as I need them, I don't have to factor in all of that chopping and peeling period. There is a lot of money tied up in household inventory. So I'm just wondering how do chefs deal with this and not get too much inventory on hand and also manage the overhead of the cost of that inventory? As a chef, I mean, luckily you're, uh, you're not usually not running out and doing the shopping. You're ordering things and having it brought to you, which is nice. It's not always that the, the cheapest or the best deal is the best option. Um, you have to think about your cash flow, which is how much money you actually are going to have on hand. So, you know, I, I don't really want my, my money invested in mayonnaise or in tin tomatoes. If I find a, a deal on canned tomatoes that are, you know, 50 cents less a can, uh, you know, if I, if I use six of them a month, that's, I'm saving $3, but I'm, I'm storing six cans of tomatoes for all that time. So I really try to think about that. Like, is it actually going to be worth having all this stuff here? So I always, I always like to think about it in the cash flow or from a cash flow perspective, just trying to have, have on hand what I need. Really, really good ideas, really good tips. Keep your inventory moving, love what you eat, buy at regular intervals, have a plan. Really, really excellent tips. Is there a final message you want to share with our listeners about food waste, Michael? It's really good to just think about what you want um, on a weekly basis or what kind of foods you're, you're going to be using a lot. And when you do your shopping to 
to think about that and say, you know, I, I don't want to buy these things and just have them rot in the back corner of my fridge because I, I didn't get to them. Uh, I would really like to decrease the amount of, of waste that I, I do. And I think that I have uh, over the past year and I would like to keep it up. Just like to say as well, it, it should be fun. Um, you know, cooking is fun and, you know, opening the cupboards and opening the fridge and not knowing what you want to have for dinner it makes, make it up, try something new and have some fun with it. Yeah. It, it, what a great final point that it should be fun. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here today. And I'm filled with excitement about the next generation of culinary talent and all the things that I can do. And I know our communities can do to improve inventory, food inventory and storage in our kitchens to save money and avoid wasting food. So thank you very much for sharing your expertise and ideas with us today. And thank you for having me. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Mike Booth, chef and senior cookery instructor at the Stratford's Chef School about food inventory and avoiding food waste to help bring change to humanity right from our own homes. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? What category of food does your household waste most often? Something to do? Find out the total value of your household's food inventory and look for ways to improve. Next week on the show, it's city farming. We'll discuss revitalizing urban agriculture land and how using city green space can help both agricultural and social systems. Our guest is Mariam Walaji, Director of Urban Roots London. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.